This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Federal Election Commission on a party-line vote recently decided not to sanction a federal prisons contractor. The company, GeoGroup, had made a big contribution to the Donald Trump Political Action Committee in 2016. So where can contractors contribute politically, should they, and where can they not? Bloomberg government senior editor Ken Doyle has been following this question, and he joins me now. Good to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Tell us about this Geo Group case. Who are they? And I guess they were an early supporter of Donald Trump, and they had good incentive for supporting him, didn't they? Right. The thing that's really striking about this is that their first contribution to a super PAC supporting Trump came a day after there was an announcement by the Obama administration in August of 2016 that they wanted to end the use of private prisons, which is GEO's business. They have a multi-billion dollar business running prisons for the federal and state governments and detention centers. And they very clearly, I think, saw that they had problems under Obama and felt that Trump would help them. And they contributed to this super PAC. They ended up contributing about $2 million to a Trump super PAC and several other Republican super PACs after 2016 in a move that's pretty unusual for sort of corporations in general and especially for contractors. I guess the question then, was it a violation of campaign law? And there the Federal Election Commission was divided. Exactly. That's the key question. So there's been a law in the books for many years that says that people that receive government contracts are not supposed to make political contributions because of the obvious fear of sort of pay to play that somebody is either pressured to give or gives to try and influence contracts. And that law, which is now enforced by the Federal Election Commission, has really, you know, become kind of ridden with loopholes. And the latest one is that if you just simply have an affiliate with a different name and no other real separation, that you can just use that affiliate to make the contribution and it doesn't count as a contribution from a contractor. And so, you know, this was a key development where the staff of the FEC, the general counsel, said that there needs to be some restriction, there needs to be some separation between the entity making the contribution and the the contractor. And the Republican commissioners on the FEC said, no, they didn't think that. The rule really said that. That was just precedence from previous cases. And so they reversed it. I guess if you keep having enough offsets, then it becomes more like money laundering than a direct contribution. Yeah, right. That was certainly the view of the staff and the Democratic commissioners who said, yeah, you can't just have an artificial separation that doesn't have any real meaning. There have been cases in the past where a company that has some contracts with the government, but it has another entity that's separated from those contracts has made contributions. But to have a major contractor like this giving large amounts to super PACs is really a fairly new development, and it was a very long FEC case and investigation. And the way that it's come out, it really leaves things open for some similar companies possibly to be asked to make contributions. We're speaking with Bloomberg government senior editor Ken Doyle. And I guess in some ways it's analogous to the way that large contractors keep separate offices and separate staffs for lobbying than they do from their marketing and sales function. In some ways Mm -hmm. that happens. Mm -hmm. So what do we know about the degree to which any other contractors contribute to PACs and super PACs? Well, there have been some previous FEC cases. There was a company called Ashbridge. There was another Navy contract. Within the last few years, there have been a number of cases. And in most of those previous cases, they were settled and the company paid a fine. They usually said, we just weren't aware of this restriction. And, uh, you know, there was a company that contributed to a Hillary Clinton super PAC. There were other companies that contributed to super PACs supporting the uh, Republican congressional candidates, you know, candidates on both sides. Most of these cases have been settled. 
and that restriction on contractor contributions was upheld. So this is new because you have, you know, a major contractor that is being allowed to give now. And by the way, you know, it has been legal for corporations in general to support candidates since the Supreme Court's famous Citizens United decision in 2010, which said a corporation could spend money to influence federal elections. But this was a further restriction on contractors that was upheld generally even after the Citizens United case. I think that's what's significant about this. Is this was one of the sort of last limits on corporate money and campaigns, and, and it seems to be uh, now have eroded away. And what about companies that have large commercial practices in addition to large government practices? A company like Geo is only going to sell to government because I don't think any corporations run prisons so far as we know. But then a lot of the software and manufacturing companies you know, are on both sides. Sure, exactly. And there are companies, an awful lot of big companies, maybe most or almost all, have some sort of dealings with the government. So in that sense, might be considered contractors. But the difference is that these other companies that had you know, separate business, they could say, well, you know, we have enough revenue from other sources. You know, we're not using money that comes from the government. I mean, it's debatable whether the rules should be stricter than that. And some people think that they should be. But clearly, you know, you could see a distinction of companies that have commercial business are just saying, well, we're like other companies. We can have a PAC. We can have lobbying offices. We can do the same things and not just take money from the government and spend it on politics, which is the thing that I think that the contractor restrictions have, you know, that was the intent of it that you shouldn't take money from the taxpayers and then try to influence and get more money. And I don't have detailed knowledge of this, but my impression is that the large companies tend to make contributions to both sides, Democrats and Republicans, more paying protection than actually pursuing any particular policy. Right. I mean, that's absolutely true. And certainly with PACs, you know, PAC money is separate from corporate money in the sense that it's money that's given by employees and sort of kept in a separate account and can be contributed directly to candidates. But there are some companies that make direct contributions. Certainly, almost uh, all the major companies have PACs that give to candidates. But they do tend to, as you say, be pretty even-handed. And clearly, the downside of something that you know what Geo was doing, where they were they were using their corporate money really only on kind of one side of the ledger, supporting Trump and Republicans. The downside is that if your team loses in the next election, you may you may actually be damaged by that. That's why I think companies in general are sort of reluctant to get too involved in this stuff. And if they do, they try to be, as you say, you know, pretty even-handed on, on how they deal with it. Ken Doyle is senior editor at Bloomberg Government. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. We'll post this interview along with a link to his story at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. 
You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and 
without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters uh, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot, both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.